Hey, I'm Patty Smythe, and you're listening to the Rock Solid Podcast. Make me a deal and make it good for me. I won't get full of myself, I can't afford to be. This is small town music, this is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and on today's episode, I feature a really fun interview with singer-songwriter Patti Smythe. You may know her best as the singer for the band Scandal, but uh, she has a brand new album out called It's About Time. It's been 28 years in the making, and we're going to talk about it. This is a great interview. I think you're going to like it. Uh, I kind of jump right in because after a few connection problems, um, we finally got uh, we finally got our Wi-Fi straightened out, and so I didn't do this intro. So we just jump right into it. So I think you're gonna like this one. I hope you do. Here we go. It's Patty Smythe. Patty, you've got a brand new album out. It's about time. It's appropriately titled because it's been 28 <laughs> years. And I have to tell you that uh, it's exactly what Patty Smythe fans have been waiting for because every single track is perfect. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. I, that's a really nice thing to say. I, I really, I don't, I, it has been 28 years ago. I didn't realize it had been that long. And then I kept seeing that in the press and people would lead with that. I was like, wow, has it been 28 years? Because in 99, I was, you know, in 98, 99, I made a greatest hits. I put together greatest hits, remixed some stuff, put two new songs on it. I worked with this guy, Matt Serletic, which, you know, he was like the producer of the time, but it was still sort of like that slick rock stuff. Right. And then I found out. So I, so I was back with, you know, a label and I was getting, you know, preparing to make a, another record. You know, we started with that. And then I was, I found out I was pregnant with my, our sixth child, <laughs> you know, like we have six between us, but it was my third daughter. And it was just like, um, you know, that definitely did not make them happy. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> it didn't make, it didn't make, <laughs> and the, I can't blame them. It didn't make the label happy. It didn't make the label happy. And also I was, um, you know, uh, on bed rest for four months. I mean, I, I it really, it kicked my ass. Okay. It, was a, it was a really difficult thing to do. Yeah, I was um, I was going to say you could still record if you were pregnant, but if you're on bed rest, no, that's a different thing. Yeah, yeah, but also, you know, I, you know, at that point they were like, "Come on, I mean, how many kids can she have?" You know, like I'm sure that they were like, um, "Thank you, sweetie." I'm, I'm sure that they were like, uh, "Oh yeah, she's serious about coming back." I mean, even you know, and when I was pregnant with her, I was like, "Oh my god, people are going to think we're crazy. Who has six kids?" So it was just kind of funny the way that I even reacted to it. Like, I was like, how the hell did this happen? Like, I don't know how it happened. Well, this, but, is, this, so, is, this is the problem with uh, any job or any industry. Um, if a man's wife was going to have a, a baby, it, no one would care. But because you're the artist, it becomes a thing, which it shouldn't be. Well, you know, it, it, it's so weird the way that it is. Being a woman in this business, being a woman in any business, I guess, I only, I know this business. This is the business that I know. And when I had my first child, you know, uh, I was 27 or something like that. And, you know, I had just come off a pretty successful record. 
you know, uh, the warrior, you know, that album did really well. I think I've heard of that. I think I've heard of that one. (laughs) Yeah. But when the producer found out that I was pregnant, you know, that was it. He'd stop returning my calls. I mean, it, it went like from so cold, you know, so fast. So, that was um, that was a, a wake up call, and I had my lawyer call him, my lawyer Owen, who has now passed. But and I listened in, and I heard him say, "Well, she's not serious, you know. She's having a kid, and she's never going to write a hit song anyway." I remember her saying him saying that, and that really, you know, it hurt to hear that, and it and it was a real blow to my confidence because the truth is, is I didn't want to make another record with that producer, but he talked me into it because I felt like, again, it was too slick. Like I was trying to just keep it, you know, I always wanted to just sort of have it be a little bit more organic. Yeah. But I went with him because he said to me, I agree. And he was, you know, he really talked me into it. I'm like, okay. And then when he found out I was pregnant, he was like, stop returning my calls. And when he said that about, oh, she's never going to write a hit record. I was like, wow, this is like Mike Chapman. You know, he's written a lot of hits. He's a big producer. Like, so it really you know, fuck with my confidence. There's no question that, you know, at that point it was like, whoa. And then I remember, you know, the year going by, you know, I had the kid, blah, blah, whatever. And I thought to myself, like, why am I going to let him decide what I can and can't do? Right. Like, how does, why does he get to decide that? And, um, and so I decided that he didn't get to decide it. And I wrote sometimes love just ain't enough. Funny, funnily enough, right around that time. And that wound up being, you know, a number one song, you know, I mean, that was a pretty big hit, which is crazy. I had no idea that was going to happen, but I mean, I felt so good about it because it was, it was an honest song. You know, I wasn't trying to write a hit song. I was trying to write a good song, right. you know, and when you try to write a good song, that's what happens, I think. So, yeah. you know, and then, and then to fast forward, you know, in 99, I understood it. And, you know, then, and, and, you know, having a difficult pregnancy, a three-year-old, I mean, I was, I was drowning in kids. It was really hard to keep my head above water. And, you know, I've got a husband who I love. And so, you know, we're, I'm just trying to keep, and, you know, I've said this recently. I grew up in a, you know, in a broken home. I was a single parent, one sister. We moved every three years. I had a very chaotic and difficult childhood. So for me to be with, uh, to find somebody, I never thought I was going to be married for a long time, you know, I had a, a short marriage with my first, when I had my first daughter, this was not in the cards for me. And it was such an unknown territory that I found it really interesting and exciting kind of to just be a couple. Like who the hell does that? I had, and I kept saying to my husband, I don't really know how to do this, but I'm trying, Yeah, you know, because I was so self-sufficient and so like independent. That's just, you know, so, I mean, that was my brave new world. So to, other to most people that's like well that's what everyone's doing well that not in my world it no one was doing it so i think that's why you know i was um you know i i believe that's why uh it kept my attention for so long you know and sort of like eclipsed a lot of other things and you've been married for 23 years everyone knows your husband's john McEnroe, and um <laughs> now when you were when you were having all these little kids this is a family question was John hands-on? Was he changing diapers? Was he helping out? Yeah, he loves babies. Excellent. Excellent. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you, when I saw you at the Canyon Club, you pointed John out. He was in the crowd. And I was standing, mm-hmm. I don't know, feet from him. I didn't even know it was him. And the look on his face watching you perform, I loved it because he was so in 
to watching you uh, engage the crowd and sing. And then you let him come up and sing and play Rockin' in the Free World, which was a treat. Yes, I, yes, it's, it was, it, he, I, I think he really gets a kick out of it and it's fun to bring him up on stage. One thing I have to say, all of my kids have agreed that he, that dad has won the quarantine as they call it, because he spent so many hours a day playing guitar and or working out every single day. Like the consistency is incredible. So he's gotten much better as a player. It's funny, there's a, something that's going to come out on Spin where I did a, li- a little live concert for my house. Okay. And John's playing uh, on four songs with me. I mean, that's never happened. Like, I like, you get one song and that's it. And it's got to be like a punk rock song. And then, but so he's getting better and better. So I think he'll probably get to play with me <laughs> a little bit more now. He said, hey, we've been together 26 years. So it's only taken, you know, 26 years <laughs> for that to happen. Uh, and there's a song on the new album. I assume it's about your marriage, Build a Fire. Pull the car off the road, pull me close, turn the engine off. I feel the wind in your hands in my hair. Yeah, you're talking so. My red dress slipping, sticking to my skin tonight. Pull me down across the seat. Yes. Although John was afraid everyone was going to assume I'm going to get there was about her marriage, (laughs) but it is not. Build a Fire is a song I wrote, you know, like seven years ago or something down in Nashville with these writers. And it had a different title. It was called Surprise because the whole idea was I was surprised by the fact that I still liked him, that I still loved him, that we still had some passion in our relationship. It was it was mind blowing to me. And so I tried to just sort of, and I, and I, I, again, for me, a lot of times songs just start with like an idea or a line and I try, you know, to carry a pen and paper now with a phone with notes on it. It's great. Cause I can jot down an idea. And the idea right. was, you know, I remember thinking my hands must be tattooed. Like if, if they put like a blue light on or whatever, you know, whatever they use in those, you know, the luminol shit. Yes. Uh, if they had it for fingerprints, you know, like it's, this is a lot of years together and, you know, uh, just so that was my hands must be tattooed all over you by now. Like, that's how long it's been. And and I think people really bail out. You know, it's very easy to bail out of marriages. Most people do. John is not a quitter, which is awesome. And we're not we're both not the easiest people, but we're a lot alike. Weirdly, I don't know. Strangely, we are alike. And I think that when you when you if you can hang in there you know, and remember who you love, as I like to say, because it's so easy to forget. It's, you know, when you're in the trenches and forget it, if you have a lot of kids and you've got a job, you both have jobs. I mean, it's really hard, but if you can sort of hold on to each other, the rewards are, are, you know, the rewards are way better than, you know, an affair or a third or a fourth marriage, I think. But, you know, that's just my own 
That's today how I feel, Pat. <laughs> that, well, and I'm sure, well, you probably feel like that every day. Or if you didn't, you wouldn't be uh, where you are now. That line that you said in the song about your hands tattooed, that's the, that's the line that really jumped out at me when I first heard the song. I was like, oh, that's poetic. That's fantastic line. That's songwriting. Well, that, yeah, it, it, it sounds like a, like a chorus line. So I knew I had to build it around that. It, it's funny, you know, like that's what happens sometimes. Sometimes you don't know what a song is going to be about. And some, a lot of times, the way that I like to work, though, is I like to go in with, I, with an idea, you know. And so it's funny in Nashville because they're such professional songwriters but, you know, they work with a lot of like young new artists they, and they say who just sort of sit there and stare at them. So like when I come in and I've got, well, I thought about it, we could write about this or we could write a song about hope or we could write about whatever it is, you know, they're like, wow, you have an idea. <laughs> I go, yeah, I, I but and I hate walking into a room with no idea. I, I've written songs that way, but it, it makes me nervous. I like to have ruminated on something well that's like i have my notes today i would never have uh i would never start this interview without uh some preparation yes that would exactly. be that would that would be a waste of time for you and me um Pat, that's john that's john's playbook preparation preparation <laughs> <laughs> the other song uh the first single that you released not the other song but the first single you released drive that's autobiographical too Yeah, that really is a, that was a song that I think is the linchpin. That was, that's a newer song. I guess I wrote it three years ago. You know, it takes a while to get a record done and, you know, shit happened. My, I cut the basic tracks of this album in Nashville and then my mom got very ill. My mom's okay now, but that was like a six months, hold on, I got to deal with this. Right. Thank God she's okay. But so, it, you know, that's why. It's a new song, but it, it just took a minute to get it out because, you know, life gets in the way sometimes. That's how it is. But with Drive, I, I wrote that song with this guy, Gerald O'Brien. He moved out to L.A. He was in Nashville for many years. He does a lot of TV and film. And I don't remember even who suggested him to me, probably some publishing friend or I don't know. So he, you know, we sat down in his little studio and he I said, well, what musical ideas do you have? And I probably came in with an idea about what I wanted to write about but it sure as hell wasn't drive. Right. And, uh, and he, um, played the music to drive, which was a piano. It was more piano than guitar, which is funny because, because Daryl plays piano. And, uh, and then I'm going to get there. Those were the two musical ideas he had. So I sang melodies to both of them. And I'm like, I like both of these. I don't know what they're going to be about. Let me take them. I'll, I'll go home with them. And so I went back to New York and, you know, again, it's like, I don't know how I, you know, it's everybody writes differently. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's such an imperfect science that it's great. You know, there, it, there's no wrong way to do it. Right. right. 
But for me, it's like I usually have uh, something that's bothering me. And the thing that was bothering me, you know, like it, it'll be or it's an idea like with sometimes love where like, shit, man, having a baby is the scariest thing you could ever do because that's some like high stakes love. Right. Yeah. That's like crazy. You know, so that's where the idea of that song came from. You know, it was totally from, you know, looking that little baby in the face. Um, and she looked right at me. It was really disarming. So but with so with Drive, you know, I had had. When I came back, I, I, I just, my sister and I had somehow become estranged over the last several years. My sister's a year and a half older than me, and I don't really know exactly what went wrong or what happened. And I, and I know, you know, she probably felt hurt by me, and I felt hurt by her, but it was so painful for me. And I really felt like, I, I didn't even know if it even mattered to her, you know, because um, she was always good at sort of like tamping stuff down, right. and I'm not. And... And so I, I came home and I, I literally walked into my closet. I have a closet slash office and I picked up a photograph of us and I started it. I found a picture of us when we were kids and it was really emotional to write it in a way because it took me back to, it was a snapshot of a time in our childhood, a summer in our childhood where we were really happy. And, um, she knew it. I played it for my mother. My mother knew exactly what I was talking about. But I, my sister didn't hear it until right before the record came out. I had sent it to her a few times, but she never could open it or whatever. And finally, I said, look, I'm sending you a song and I want you to listen to it. Because we did get closer when my, over my mom's illness. We had to come together. Right. And so that helped. But I, So, I mean, basically, I guess not knowing really what... I wanted to say in a way, I, I, I just knew what I wanted to convey was like this feeling of, you know, like whatever I, I it's, it's still hard for me to verbalize it. You know what I was trying to do, except to sort of build a bridge back to her. And the, the way that I did that was I tried to just tell her the story again of what it was like when we were kids, like the good times. And I didn't know that, you know, and what's interesting about it is like, it could be anyone, it could be your sister, your childhood sweetheart, your best friend, or anyone, you know, um, your parent, your parents, I suppose, but uh, I guess not your parents, because they're not going to be a kid when you're a kid. Right. And there's no bridge in that song, which is really weird. I always write a bridge, but there's no bridge in that song. That's another bizarre thing. I guess I just was done. But I knew then with that song, I was like, I, I got to make a record. This is this is the record and it's going to start with this. And then I pulled these other songs like Only One, which I had had for a while. It was a house. It was a home. It had a soul in a space where we once lived. But like a ghost that doesn't know which way to go, I'm alone. Your memory haunts me like this. Build a Fire, which I rewrote 
from surprise and and then i wrote i i was i had been working on a few new songs like uh no one gets what they want losing things and i'm going to get there but i mean that was just really a, a personal note you know a personal letter set to music kind of in and a you, way and your sister's in the vi- in the drive video with you yeah. So it, you, whatever, I think my sister understood whatever it was that I can't even verbalize mm-hmm. to you, Pat, <laughs> from that song, because it's, it, it did something and it, and I, and we got back, you know, like the feeling was gone. I don't feel that distance anymore. And so I said, I'm coming up state, you know, will you come and be in the video with me? And she said, yes. And then, you know, she was a little bit like, well, I don't know how I look. I go, if you don't want to be in it, if you don't want me to keep you in it, I won't. But, you know. It just felt right to have her yeah, in the video. It's a it great video. It, yeah, it, it was really funny and fun and it was good to see her like loosen up and we were just having a good time. So, you know, sometimes you worry, it's like, is this too specific? Is this too personal? Is this too but you know, it, it's just it's just the way that, that I happen to do it sometimes, yeah. you know? It's a cliche, but the the healing power of music, it sounds like this uh this helped with you and your sister's relationship. This definitely helped us for sure. I mean it it definitely did. And and it's the only way that I believe that I could have reached her. You know, because I know I wouldn't have found the right words and I wouldn't have been able to say, you know, like there was a line that didn't make it into the song. Uh, it was an alternate for um, under the, you know, under the grandfather trees. You know, it was um, I made a I made a mix of all your favorite songs just to say I'm sorry for whatever went wrong. That's a nice line. So that was, you know, in there, too. But it, it's just like I think I think music does like heal a lot of things and also help, you know, people feel better in all kinds of ways. You know, someone may ask me to make a mixtape for the voting booths, you know, cause we're, there's going to be long lines of voting. Right. So I put ball of confusion, you know, the temptation song on, on it. And John had never heard it. And I played him ball of confusion. He was like, Oh my God. I go, look, they're almost rapping in this song, man. This is like 1970 or something, or even earlier than that. And so, you know, I mean, I, I think ball of confusion is just a great song to be listening to right now is my point, you know, like just anything to like get us, you know, out of this chaotic, crazy world yeah. we're in. We get, uh, yeah, anything to get through the next couple of weeks. Jeez. Yeah, I know. So you you co-wrote six of the eight songs on this album, and then you uh, you tackled two songs that you've recorded before, Downtown Train and Ode to Billy Joe. What, <laughs> Who what, does uh, that? <laughs> what, uh, <laughs> what is more satisfying for you, to sing the words that you actually wrote or to interpret these uh, other people's songs? Oh, you know what? That's a very good question, Pat. That is a good question. And you, and the truth is, is in a way, gee, I mean, that's a tough one because I feel, you know, you feel great satisfaction writing a song and, and singing your own song. But I began as a singer, mm-hmm. you know, like I always wrote poetry and, you know, and wrote in my diary and stuff like that. But I didn't know that I could write songs right away because I didn't play an instrument well enough or whatever, whatever the, you know, I just was interested in singing also. That's where my thousands of hours went or whatever was just singing, 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 singing. So there's a certain freedom and, and exhilaration to, to singing someone else's song in a way where like that you relate to, like with downtown train, there's just something so beautiful about that song. 
Outside another yellow moon Punched a hole in the night time, yeah I climbed through the window and down to the street I'm shining like a new dime The downtown trains are filled With all those Brooklyn girls They try so hard to break out of their little worlds You wave your hands and they scatter like crows They have nothing that'll ever capture your heart They're just thorns without the rose So be careful of them in the dark I know that that wouldn't be words that I would write but I, it's, I so connected to it. So it's a different kind of connection and it's on the uh, much more visceral level in a way, because that's what I did first. I sang, that's all I wanted to do. So it's very different. And sometimes it's cooler to sing other people's songs. And sometimes it's cool to sing mine. At, uh, at what age do you decide that this is going to be a career or you would like that to be a career? What? Singing, singing. or yeah. songwriting? I guess, but I guess they, I guess they go hand in you know, hand. I started my life in an old cold run down tenement slum. Uh, I would say that uh, my mother ran coffee houses in the village from the time that I was seven years old. I, there were musicians sleeping in our basement. You know, she uh, managed um, Link Ray when I was in junior high school. So I was around music all the time. It wasn't like a big risky thing to right. do gotcha. in my world in, in in my in my own personal little world it just wasn't it was all around me my mom had wanted to be an actress and 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 she ran away to the circus my mom's got like an incredible story so i guess but the real question is is when did i let other people know you know okay. like i think i always wanted it i remember you know, uh, being in my bedroom when I was nine and jumping up and down on my bed to music, you know, sing, singing along to music and breaking my bed because that's all I did was sing all the time. So people around me must have known what I wanted to do because they were telling me to shut up all the time. So I would <laughs> say not until like 15, you know, 14, 15, because, you know, I was in Brooklyn like from 11 to 15 and, you know, they, there's no way that you you can't even fucking go to the library back in back in the day. You know, I was in a really rough neighborhood in Brooklyn. It's like you didn't nobody was reading poetry and, you know, like aspiring to be, have, you know, have the nerve to aspire to be something, you know, besides a criminal or <laughs> whatever else my, my friends wound up being, you know, going into healthcare. I don't know. You know, like there weren't big dreams. Mm-hmm. And if you had them, you kept them to yourself. I mean, that's the truth. My sister and I would sneak off to the Brooklyn Museum because we would get, you know, just, you know, razzed and goofed on if they, if our friends knew we went, we liked art, you know, that was like, so, I mean, so I guess I knew it, but I didn't say it, but I'll tell you, I had a, a very poignant moment in my four room apartment on Ocean Avenue in Brooklyn. My mom was managing Link Ray and his whole, him and his band, it was a four of people or maybe five, were staying at our apartment for a month in Brooklyn. So this is 1970, right? I'm going to say it's probably 1970, 71. And they're, li- they're, they're living in our living room. And me and my sister share our bedroom. And I was walking around, and I must not have 
I must have forgotten that they were there. And I was singing to myself. Okay. And Link Ray called me and he was sitting in my mom's room because that's where they were practicing. To, and, uh, and he said, let me, what were you singing? I don't remember what I sang. And then he, it, it must have been that Chris Christopherson song. You know, loving her was easier than anything I'll ever do again. So that must have been running in my mind. And he made me sing it for him. Wow. Like he, he had me sing it for him a few times. And he was like, that's really good. And it was, he didn't like make a big thing out of it, but he totally looked me in the eye and validated. He wanted to hear it. And one time, again, right around that time, maybe a year later, no, no, two years later, I met my father's mustache, which was this club in Long Island. Bonnie, you know, Delaney and Bonnie are playing at this club. And I'm in the I'm in the dressing rooms. I'm backstage because I'm there with somebody who knows them. And again, I'm singing because I'm always singing all the time. I don't even realize I'm singing. And Bonnie Brown was like, hey, who is that? Who's singing over there? <laughs> so she heard me and noticed it, too. So, you know, those are things I st- like, I can't remember shit, Pat, but I remember those two moments. Well, those are important those moments. Were, those are important moments where like, uh, I got a message. You yeah, know? You got it wasn't like a giant message or an ego blow up. It was just a little message like, you know, remember this. Validation. This, yeah, exactly. Well, when I saw you, and, uh, when I saw you a year and a half ago, I was, um, I was amazed at how great your voice still sounds. It, um... And for someone who, uh, to us, is, but you, you've just answered the question, you're always singing. So that's why your voice sounds good. Even though you're not singing uh, on record, uh, you're always singing. No, no, I never sing now. You never that's, sing? That's what's terrible. Well, then never. how does your voice still sound so good live? I, I don't, I, thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. I don't know why. I think it's because I... When, when I turned 30 and I started having problems with my voice that I went and I got a really great teacher who taught me how to sing correctly. And if you do it right, you don't wear it out. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to, I should be singing way more than I am. And I think that I was singing uh, a lot around, you know, when I, when I'm touring, then I'm doing like a few shows a week or whatever, right. you know, but I don't sing as much as I used to. It's, it's, uh, it, but you know, that was what I said. Uh, that was, it's great about being married to John because he loves music. He jams all the time. So they make me sing with them sometimes. And that's good. They you make, know, just like they make you do it. They make he, you do, they do it. They do. And it's weird because I don't know why I just don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's what happens. You just don't, even though I love singing, I don't do it as much. Mm-hmm. You know, I just don't. It's, 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 Maybe that's why my voice still sounds good too, because I haven't beat the shit out of it. You know, I don't know. But when you do do it, it does, it's not feeling like work or a job to you now, is it? It's still f- fun. No, it just never felt like that. Okay, good, good, <laughs> good. Think, yeah, I um, mean, the only time it was a drag was, you know, there were moments when we were in scandal when you know I had that partner Zach Smith, and you know there was all this like infighting, and that was a bummer. And then at when scandal broke up. The first band I put together was like a bunch of drunken fools. And that was kind of a drag because I had stopped drinking and it was like, oh, my God. Like, you can only be around drunks if you're drunk. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It, it, it's, it can be annoying. So that felt like work. Yeah. <laughs> the first time I saw Scandal, this is it's almost 36 years to the day. Wow. I saw you October 19th, 1984 at the Syria Mosque in Pittsburgh 
and you guys were on tour with John Waite. Oh my God, the Syrian Mosque. What a crazy name for a venue. <laughs> I know. And I vaguely remember that and have pictures of that night because I have cousins that live in Pittsburgh and they were at the show. Yeah, it's, so it's I, I, yeah. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to look it up. I'm like, when was that, when was that concert I saw in Pittsburgh? 36 years ago. It's crazy. Oh my gosh. Isn't so, it hard to believe what can happen and, and how fast the time goes? Like if some of the stuff feels like, you know, 30 years ago, whatever, but you know, like the last 20 years just fe- feels like it's just flown. I think once you have kids, cause I, we, my wife and I have two kids. They're six. They just turned 16 and 20. And it is hard mm-hmm. to believe how quickly that time goes that by. It's, it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. Um, Did you know that I worked at comedy clubs like for years? You know, I, that's where I was singing. I was singing at Catcher Rising Star and waitressing at the comic strip. That's what Pat Benatar is. She started at Catcher Rising Star. Well, she started at Catcher Rising Star. I don't know if she ever waitressed there. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I ever waitressed there either. But I came right as she got her record deal. It was like right after her, funnily enough. But it was just because I had a friend who was a character actor, Murray Mostyn, who was in like a... He was in a... What was that? In a... What was the one with Robert De Niro, who he plays Taxi Driver, right? Okay. I mean, so he did all these great Scorsese films. And he said, you should go to Catch a Rising Star on Monday nights. That was when they did the amateur night or yeah. whatever. You know, I was like 18 or something. And I did. And, or I must, yeah, 18 or 19. And so that's how I wound up there. But I was with all those comedians when they started. Like Jerry Seinfeld was coming in from Long Island and Paul Reiser and just, you know, the Bells, Larry David, I mean, Stephen Wright. I mean, it was pretty That's funny. amazing. Bill That's I amazing. Bill Maher, well, he was, he's such a sweetheart now, but he was not a happy dude back then. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to believe, I know. It's amazing when, that all those guys are wildly successful. I know. I mean, who? Know. Uh, they're all, they all started out together and they all made it. It's unbelievable. I and, know. There were a few others, though. There were a few others that I really thought were going to do mm-hmm. it, too. And they didn't. You know, it just goes to show some of it is luck. Some's luck, yeah. And some of it is also like, you know, your internal, whatever you're going to allow yourself. But there were a couple of guys who I thought, you know, they were really cute and funny. And so, it, but, but the thing that I did find out about comedy is that, you know, you can get funnier. To a point, but you have to, you have to start out funny. Yeah. You have I mean, to be a funny person. Get better. Yeah. You, can... you have to be a funny person. Cause I watched, you know, Jerry from the beginning and Paul from the very beginning. And, you know, it was just funny to, to watch the, um, the evolution. Yeah. The writing, how much better they got. your writing can get better, but you have to start being a funny person. You have to be funny. I think so. But but I also saw some singers get really good too. You know, I think you can get better at singer with singing with the right training. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you're not going to be like the most amazing singer, but you can be a pretty good singer if you. It's it, everything is a practice, right? Yeah, everything's a muscle. You practice yeah, being funny. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? Uh, the first time I ever heard Scandal is probably also the first time I ever saw Scandal on MTV with the Goodbye to You video.
such yeah. a fun video. I can remember, I can remember being in high school and seeing that and thinking, what's this? This is really fun. <laughs> I mean, you guys just look like you were having a blast. We, it was really, that was Zach Smith, my partner. He was very, he's a very smart guy and it was his idea. We made a video of Love's Got a Line on You while we were making uh, demos for CBS, for Columbia, right? And who's in that and video, Patty? Who's in that video? Well, it, in that, that's what I was just going to say. Okay. In that video, we didn't have Keith Mack yet. So we, John Bon Jovi was staying at his uncle's um I guess it was power. I think it was power station staying at the apartment at that, at that studio. And we were doing some work in there. I don't know what the hell we were doing there because we weren't doing demos there. And I asked him, you know, because we had become friendly. I was like, look, could you just play, you know, be in this video with us? So we must've been shooting it there. Maybe that's what it was. We, they had lent us the studio. So John Bon Jovi, who was not even out of high school yet was in that video and that video in my little Betsy Johnson, you know, uh, jumpsuit. And I had very short hair that got us signed because they were like, forget the, forget the demos. Let's just sign them. And so when we went in and we had, we didn't even have goodbye to you yet because I found that and finished it with Zach because we had no single. So we, you know, we, I went back in through his music and stuff. And again, because I didn't know, what songwriting was, I wrote and finished that song with him, but he never gave me the credit for it. And Boo. I, yeah. And I didn't know, but you know, I didn't know any better. So whatever, I should have figured that out a little bit sooner than I did, but, but that's all right. It's amazing that I'm, you're, you're ground zero on Jerry Seinfeld and John Bon Jovi. Like, you yes. know, you didn't, you didn't know that this 18 year old kid that's in this video, it's just filling in for fun is going to be John Bon Jovi. It's crazy. No, he just was really nice and he's cute and he was a nice kid. And then, you know, we did a couple of gigs later and I didn't even know then we we, we did a gig at the Cotton Club. And I was like, you know, I kind of I, I feel like in a way I didn't take him seriously, but it probably wasn't even that. I probably was just too distracted. But, you know, they blew up right after that. Yeah. So it's kind of like it's just amazing. And he is a good person. He's a decent, nice person. So. I'm glad that I'm glad he's had the success that he has him and Dorothea. They're nice people, but it is funny. Yeah. And so when we went in to do goodbye to you, it's like, we're going to do the same thing that we did. We got the same guy who was a fashion photographer, a friend of Zach and his wife, Debbie was an editor at Vogue and she pulled some clothes for me. That's like a, that's a, that's a sweatshirt dress. That's what's funny. And I'm wearing my grand Canyon beaded souvenir belt i mean it's just hilarious like and then we just jumped around yeah Yeah, we just jumped around and i'm laughing so much in that because i would go over to ivan the bass player god bless him he passed away um a long time ago in the night like very young from lung cancer he never smoked but somehow that happened but he was really like a long island dude you know like a great guy and so I was singing in his face, you know, I like while I was moving around and I just got right up to him. And then when I pulled away, his nose was red because I got so close to him <laughs> that my lipstick rubbed off on his nose. So I when I turn around and I'm laughing, that's why I'm laughing, because he's got like a red nose for the rest of that video. But it was just fun. I don't know. For whatever reason, I don't I had fun making those videos. I mean, most of them. And Love has got a line on you. Is uh, such That's such a great song. Such a good song.
Yeah, that was Zach's song. That that is a good song. I know that is a good song, and that was a that was a crazy video shoot where we shot for like fourteen hours straight, and we were all I don't even drink beer, but by the you know tenth hour, I started drinking beer with them, and then they put a spotlight behind me, and they were like, "You got to walk in a straight line because the spotlight has is cut your back lid, and if you move to the left or to the right, it's going to blow out the shot." <laughs> so I had to try to walk a straight line. Nice. I'm telling you, I was definitely pretty drunk. I'm <laughs> not going to lie. <laughs> Why was the first Scandal album just an EP? Because there were other songs recorded. Songs like, I'm Here Tonight. I'm here tonight. Now tell me what it means to you. Because it ain't right to let me go on loving you. Grosso Wise and why just an EP for the first album? Love can make you grow so wise. Um, God, I think that song was written with me and Zach and uh, and Ray Gomez. I mean, I think it was probably our, our label and our A and I A and R people, you know, saying uh, Paul Atkinson and whoever, like, you know, maybe they didn't think they were good enough, okay. or and we didn't have like a lot of singles. We didn't. And I think it was just a decision. You know, let, let me just back up a little bit. We had only been together, you know, like when Zach met me and then I went in and put my voice on those demos and stuff. We started playing at the Ritz. We got signed really fast. I mean, I had been on the music scene for a long time. Zach had been doing stuff for a long time in the studio. You know, all of his demos had like Elton John's uh musicians on it i'm still friends with davy johnson to this day i love him but it's just funny how he you know but when we came together that's when it's like it's all about timing and it really yeah. is it's like it clicked and so we got signed very very fast so we didn't even have time to have a big body of work it was his songs and then he would keep trying to get me to write in his defense and i would be like nah you know i mean i just was not like that right driven. not interested in that at that point not yet. Yeah. So, I mean, oops, it took a while, but, uh, I did, you know, I finally realized, well, all they had to do was just keep sending me shitty songs. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll write. <laughs> now here's a question I have. Cause this always, uh, I've, I've always wanted to know this. The, uh, the second album comes out warrior and now you're billed as scandal featuring Patty Smythe. Oh. Whose idea is that? For me, when I read something like that, I think, oh, this band isn't long, uh, you know, for history. Something's because now they're pushing. It feels like they're pushing you. You're already the front person, but now the label's pushing your name out there. Yeah, you know that. I feel like uh, there were a lot of things going on. Then mm -hmm. I went to uh, I had been on. We had been on the road now at this point. I don't know, like nine months straight. 
10 months straight. And then we went, came home and went right into the studios. And uh, it, had, it, was a, it was a tough road. Zach was very, I think Zach chose me because I was good at what I did. And then he got nervous about it, mm-hmm. you know, because I was getting all the attention. Of course, everybody did want to talk to me because that's your job when you're the LV. Right. You know, when exactly. You're the lead singer, lead it's like singer. that was my job. I did my job, but it scared him. Plus, plus the different, plus the added thing is you're also a woman. So you stand out from the men. You're the lead singer and you're a a woman. So obviously people do want to talk to you. Yes. And, you know, he had the vision of wanting a woman in the band. So, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's like, I don't know what happened where somewhere along the line, he just got like nervous about it. And he just, you know, started to try to whatever undermine, you know, he was shit talking me to the label and, you know, whatever it, it it just got, that's when it became just a drag. Yeah. And so we did a gig and, and also one of the main things that what I was upset about was Tommy price was our drummer. I loved Tommy. Great drummer. Uh, He's a great, yeah, great drummer. And he got, he did that record with Billy Idol, remember? And yeah, then they kind of stole him from Billy, you. Yeah, well, Billy Idol offered him, you know, some serious money. And he um, and I said to Zach, we have to match it. You know, I don't want to lose him. Yeah. And Zach wouldn't do it. And so we lost Tommy. And I, that was it for me. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, that's it. Once Tommy was gone, it just felt like it wasn't the same anymore, you know? Yeah. And so I you know, I just, I was finished, I think. And we did a gig at, we went to the CBS convention, we did a show and it was terrible. I mean, the band was terrible. I don't even know who played with us. It, it was, it was really embarrassing. And, and I, I'll take responsibility for how bad it was because it wasn't just them. Like I was wearing some kind of a moo. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. <laughs> you know, it was like, I, it was all, and I went to my label right then and there. I went to Al Teller and these other Pete guys, and I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this with with Zach. I just can't. Yeah. And it's interesting because when we went in the studio to cut Warrior, this is right. It was right after we 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 cut the Warrior, and the first thing that that Mike Chapman said to Zach Smith was, "Why does this? Why doesn't anyone in this band like you?" I mean, you know, that was his. That's very. On. That's very telling. Yeah. And it was like, and so Zach is barely on that record, you know, and that was sort of, so then when I, you know, right. So I guess the warrior hadn't come out yet. We were, we played the warrior at the convention, but it hadn't come out yet. So then I just said to them, listen, I I just, I don't want to do this. Whatever this is, I can't do it anymore. It isn't fun anymore. And I said it to Zach. I was like, this, I didn't sign up for this. Like, you know, this was my dream and it should be, fun and light and not so anyway uh i guess when they put it out they didn't consult with me they just put out scandal featuring patty smythe i mean how about with patty smythe had a better role than like featuring featuring yeah featuring sounds like you're not on the whole record it's it's weird i know it's like i'm a i'm a guest yeah but i you know it's everybody of course i'm sure was like oh it's her ego you know i'm a team player i've had the same band for 13 years that i've toured with i stay Keith Mack still plays with me yes, he for does. better or worse. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm a loyal person, but I, I just, you know, 
you you have to feel like you know you're in it together and so I I love being in a band and even though I make the decisions because ultimately it is my name and my ass or whatever you know I I consult with my with my guys all the time you know we make a lot of decisions together that's was fine with me. I didn't want to necessarily have control. I just didn't want to be in that situation anymore. It's un- it's un- you're telling me all this behind the scenes strife, and then you have a top ten single, and the album goes platinum. So, uh, yeah, outwardly everything is great, but uh, right. Well, because Mike Chapman brought us that song, and Holly Knight and Nick Gilder wrote it, yeah. and you know, there. I mean, that's what happened. And we had we had we had written some good songs by then, and. Uh, I know it, it's weird. You know, it's funny because there was a, a GoGo's documentary recently. You know, it, yeah. um, I don't know if you've seen it. Yes, but I have. It just shows like there, there's so many complications when you're in a band. But I mean, honestly, you know, you just have to really try to take care of everybody and, and make everybody feel like they're valued. And also, you know, you can, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy with Zach in a way. He was so worried that I was going to somehow run away, be a runaway horse or something, that that's what happened. He he drove you away. Yeah, exactly. If he had just relaxed, it would have been way more fun, way more productive, and lasted a lot longer. Well, uh, obviously, The Warrior gets all the attention on that album, but you co-wrote six of the ten songs. I love Maybe We Went Too Far and Tonight... less than half these are all this this album is it's a killer there's not there's not one dud on this album it's it's perfect i love thank it thank you pat thank you. you know eddie eddie van halen really liked maybe we went too far that was like his favorite song so he came out on the road and <laughs> played that with us for a few gigs back in 84 which was amazing but i know that was a I don't, I I can't even remember where that one came from. And then there's less than half. And then there was one I wrote for my friend Mustafa. I mean, that was all I want. That was the one. Yeah. So that was, those are really my baby, you know, my baby steps into songwriting, you know?
And you still play some of those songs live now. I, I'm not really, I think we do beat of a heart off of that That's record. A good one. We, we do, uh, yeah, we do, uh, the warrior and we're doing down. Well, downtown train wasn't on that record. That was the next record. So I don't think we do any other songs, but you know what? People have been asking me for them. So I think we're going to have to add one or two. I have to mm-hmm. figure out what, which ones to add because people ask me for all I want or, or maybe we went too far, but that's a fun song to play. So maybe do you, I'll try doing that. Do you still enjoy singing the warrior? Because it, it's almost like you kind of have to. Well, you know what? I, here's the thing, like I, the whole thing with doing a show and and touring and playing with people is, you know, you want them to react and you want to make them happy. You want to have a good, you know, interaction. And it really, you know, a good show depends as much on the audience as it does on the performers, in my opinion. You know, you have a good audience. They'll take you to places you've never were, never thought you could even go to, you know, if they're like in the right if they're right there with you, you know, and you just have this sort of amazing, you know, hour and a half or two hours together. So for me, a lot of times like the warrior would come towards the end of the set. And, you know, at that point I'm, I'm, I'm getting tired. My voice may be a little bit beat up and there's some freaking, you know, high C's in that mother. So, you know, there's that one where I, you know, whatever, heart to heart, you win, you know, and then I even go higher on that. And that happens a few times in the write-out. Just the write-out of that song is exhausting. now in the middle of the set not for any other reason except i i kind of like not making them wait till the end so i just decided to move it up but it's interesting when i moved it up because it's still a really fun song to sing that's why i cut that song i never really thought about the goofy lyrics of you know shooting out the walls of heartache the verses were so cool they were such a good melody but also kind of really great phrasing and so i knew i could sing that song well and i wanted to sing it really as, as good as I could for Mike Chapman, who was a big producer at the time. So I, to answer you, that was a long-winded yes. I still <laughs> like that song. It's, it's good that you drop it in the middle because if you don't, then people know what the last song's going to be. So I like, the yeah. su- I like the surprise when it came in the middle. It sounds like I'm kissing your ass, but it, kind of. But um, <laughs> when I saw you at the Canyon Club, you were, uh, you were funny on stage. Mm-hmm. and and personable and you uh self-deprecating i think at one point you lied down on the stage i mean it was just it was really fun <laughs> i was really 
you just didn't come out there and sing the songs and say goodnight and get out of there. It really felt like a, like a performance, like a show. I loved it. Thank you. I mean, I, I don't know what happens or what is what happened because what, this is really funny. Cause I was going through, uh, I was looking for old photos and after you know, like two weeks ago or whatever. And I found this like envelope of old press and it was a review of some of my shows with John Waite, which is weird. And one guy was like really snarky and he was like, oh, she doesn't know if she's cute or I don't know what it was he, he said. And like that I didn't seem comfortable. And I, and I always felt really comfortable on stage. But it was interesting to read like a review where he was sort of like giving me shit for, not, you know, like seeming like awkward or cute or whatever it was. But I guess I wasn't so funny back in the day you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't goofing you know as much as I, I am now but you know sometimes I just look I sometimes the shows are two hours long now Pat yeah. because I'm talking right you know that's okay and, but but it, it's funny because my band's like oh she's talking but I'm like I, and that's hard on your voice that's hard on your voice than singing talking right, right? but but sometimes I mean, for me, I just look out at that audience and I think, what, how the hell did we get here? You know, and it's just funny to me. And so I'll just start goofing on, you know, getting older or whatever and whatever's in my brain at the time. So I'm, it's, I don't, you know, it's funny because there are shows where people have scripted things that they say every night. And yeah, that's just I hate not, that. I hate that. Yeah. And, and, but sometimes it works, you know, like, like Mark Shaman. And this uh, and his partner, his musical partner, they have written so many great shows for people like Bette Midler, although she is way more spontaneous, but and other really great performers. But, you know, they like to have their script or whatever. Yeah, their stage pattern. And if you're yeah. good at it. Yeah. If it. Yeah. Like clever and witty chatter. Yeah. Right. So mine is just like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to. Sometimes I talk about my ass. I don't know. It's like, who the hell knows? One time I came out and I sat down, I go, hold it. I just stopped the song and I had to take my socks off. Because I was slipping in the inside my shoes and I was going to twist my ankle, so I'm just like, look, here we are. We're in, we're we're doing this show, and I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I should. There should be more of a distance, but I like feeling like you know, like I'm getting to know them and they're getting to know me. Yeah, that's well, that's how it felt. That's how it felt, and um, yeah, just to to strip away that uh, you know, there's not like uh, just to pull back the curtain a little bit. I like it. Thank you. Um, I know it's funny. I don't know what happened. Someone came to see my show. I went and stayed with them at their incredible place in Tanzania. And he said to me after I played at Stephen's Talk House out in Long Island, he was like, where was that personality when you were with us in Africa? And I was like, uh, oh, was I, I didn't know I was supposed to entertain while I was in Africa too. Yeah, you're on I vacation. I got to remember that. Yeah. Yeah. You can't always be I got to remember, Pat, I got to remember to be funny at all times, by the way. <laughs> I, I want to talk about the Never Enough album, but I, I want to make sure I hit this. Um, a year after Never Enough, you have a song on the Caddyshack 2 soundtrack called I Run Right Back. It's written by Diane Warren. It's produced by Rick Ocasek. Sometimes I wanna forget you. I wanna burn you from my memory. Yeah, sometimes I think it just ain't no good. Ain't no good for me. I wanna push you out of my heart. But my heart sees it differently. I walk out the door. I say I can't take it no more. 
How did? Oh my God! I totally forgot about the name of the song. Yeah. I remember being in the studio with Rick, and I don't remember the song at all. So uh, well, it's a good song. Uh, Eddie Money recorded it later down the road. Uh, but what was? How did you get hooked up with with Rick? It, that seems like a great combo. I wish he would have produced an album for you. I know. I know. I, you know, I don't know what happened where we must've, you know, we lived in the village, both of us. He was around the corner from me. We must've known, had some mutual friends and we just wound up. Uh, somebody came up with the idea. I don't really know who did. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know if he did that soundtrack album. Maybe he did. I think he just I'm did your really song. Sure. I think he just did your track. And I don't know why we didn't do any more, but uh, what year was that? 1988 is when the movie came out. The song's way better than the movie. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I, and I, I'll tell you, I've done stuff that I just completely forget, but yeah. I do remember being in the studio with him and doing that. And, and is, that just, that song. is that just one day that you, that you that worked together? Day. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went in and I, I probably sang the basic tracks with the band. And then did the vocal. Since I'm talking about soundtracks, I'm going to jump to Armageddon. You have a song (laughs) that you and uh, Glenn Burtnick wrote called Wish I Were You. That soundtrack goes to number one. It sells 4 million copies. This is a, I guess this is an industry type of a question. When you have a song on a soundtrack like that, does that equal big money for you as an artist? Oh yeah. You'll, you'll make some money on that. I I don't know exactly how much money I made on that. I don't, I wouldn't want you to tell me that. (laughs) No, I mean, I know, I know. I'm just saying, I mean, I was, again, I was a tad distracted at the time, Uh but uh, I know that, it made, I, I thought it sold more than 4 million copies. Maybe it did. Maybe it, was, it did. Yeah. But, but I don't know, but, but it was definitely, um, it's, it, it, that was the first song that I wrote. I, you know, it's funny cause I was sort of experiencing a writer's block when I met John, it was right after sometimes love and I was having to write another record. And I, I think that was the beginning of why I stepped away. You know, mm-hmm. I felt like I just couldn't finish anything and I was sick of the music business and, how sexist it was. And I, I just was whatever. And things were changing and that's a whole other story. But, um, but basically, wait, am I going to lose my train of thought now? What was I just saying? Oh yeah. So when I met John, you know, Glenn, when I came back to New York, Glenn and I had always written and I said, you know, come over. I have an idea for a song or whatever. And it was a song where John had told me he had a dream. He All he did was jam. He wanted to make a record. He was playing music all the time. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't stand music. What I married an athlete. This guy will not stop playing music, listening to music. And then he came to me and he goes, you know what? I never remember dreams. I had a dream last night and it was in color. 
And I was like, oh, for Christ's sakes, you know, like, <laughs> so I wound up writing that song, I Wish I Were You, because it was sort of the funny, you know, Wish You Were Here uh, uh, play on that. Right. But but also just like, God, why can't I have that, you know, that that childlike, you know, joy. And he was just so damn happy. <laughs> Uh, 1987, it's your first solo album, Never Enough. I love this record so much. I mean, it needs to be more popular than it is. It's one of my go-to albums. If I'm just, I want to hear wow. something fun, I, I pull this one out. Thank you. Isn't, Thank you for that. You know, that wasn't even supposed to be a solo record. So I don't know what the heck was happening there. You know, we, it was still going to be Scandal featuring Patti Smythe. Okay. But, you know, they wanted, my producers wanted it to be a solo record. And I didn't want it to be a solo record i i feel my first solo record was in 92 with sometimes love to stay enough that was really my solo record because of the amount of energy and time that went into it and writing i mean i wrote some of the songs on never enough and it is a a really good record though because bill whitman you know who was producing it with uh he had such a great ear for songs and he brought me some really cool songs like different songs yeah. you know like from downtown train to the river cry to suli whatever yeah. you know so it was it, it was it was a interesting time but you know again i was pregnant when we started that record and then i gave birth and then i had a six-week-old baby when i finished it and did all my vocals so you know they there were a lot of things going on but what's weird about that record is it's not on spotify no you can't get it and so I'm working on that. I'm trying to figure out why it's just sort of disappeared. It's it's weird. Here know, it is. I, I, like I have people. Hmm? It's right here. here it is. I know. I have. <laughs> I think I have an. I think I have that album. I do. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. But you're you're working on getting okay. it on Spotify and all the platforms. Well, I'm gonna. I'm trying if I can because it seems strange that it's not up there. Yeah, I mean, it re- you know? I mean, yeah, it really should be. Yeah. All right, you uh, the album that you just uh, referenced, nineteen ninety two. You're on MCA Records, self titled, Patty Smythe album, and produced by uh, the keyboard player from the E Street Band, Roy Bitten, <laughs> and the best one of the best drummers in the world. I mean, he's he's Tommy Price level. Kenny Aronoff is on this album. This is a great album. Oh my god! Is, is this the you. one you're? Is this up until the new album? Is this the one you're most proud of? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, you know, Roy is a great guy. He's a great musician. He's a, got a good musical mind and he knows great players. So he put together the band, you know, for me, I had just moved, I moved out to LA to make the record with him. I had, a, my daughter was five 
And I was like, I'm going to go to California. And, you know, this is like a big, you know, I, I, I bet a lot on that at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I put my trust in him. I went out to his house in Malibu <laughs> and we were having this meeting. And then I went to walk outside and I walked right into his glass door. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't knock myself out or, you know, break his, uh, get cut, uh, cut up or anything. But my lips and my nose were imprinted in the door. He left it there, he said, for a week. Like, so I felt, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, is this a sign that I should work with him? Because I just walked into the glass door. So, and the way that we laughed about it, I, it made me think that it, and I'm telling you, I had the most fun making that record. The guys were all great. I still am friends with a couple of them. You know, I see Rusty. He lives in Malibu. And whenever I see Kenny, who I used to call Penis Head, <laughs> and I mean, he literally would take my, I would bring my camera and he'd take the camera and take pictures of his schwanz, like constantly. And so I- Different I, times. I, you know, that was when you would send, I know with that, well, it was, it was just a joke, obviously. Right, but, of course. And he, and I knew him well enough so that, but well, <laughs> he did it so that when I was taking them in to get, because you used to have to take them in right. to get them developed. And, and then you would be would embarrassed. Look at me like a lot of penis shots. Like, <laughs> oh my God. But I had pajama day and, you know, I, and I, the, one of the last songs I wrote for that record was No Mistakes with Kevin Savagar. And when I came home that night, you know, after hearing the mix of No Mistakes, I thought that was the song. Now it's late at night, I'll watch you sleeping. I want to wake you up and tell you I'm sorry, though I know I can't make it up. And I made my mistakes now, baby, but I did You know, not sometimes love just ain't enough, which I had recorded by then three times. I had done it with with Barry Beckett in Nashville. I had done it with this. I had tried to make a record while I was still on Columbia with a guy out in L.A. in 88, I guess it was. And that was just I mean, I made a whole record with him and it was terrible. And so that was when I left Columbia. And uh, so, you know, No Mistakes was newer, but also I, I just felt, felt like that was the song. It's just funny how. Because I guess I had been living with sometimes love for so long. I, I really had no, I wasn't prepared for what a success that song was going to be. It was sort of like, a, I think I went into shock, honestly. But it was a really, it, it, it was a, it was a good record that even the cover, all the cover songs I feel like I did were good. And I sang really good on it. I got my daughter's class on one of those songs. So yeah, that was that. I, I would think, I think that's probably one of my favorites just because it really represented me, you know, not that uh, good. the first EP wasn't great for right. what it was, because it was. And so was the warrior, you know, in the time. But I felt like by 92, I got to I still felt some stuff was a little overproduced. And I tried to, you know, help in the mixing. But, you know, it's, you know, this time I was able to mix with the mixer. You know, this is the first time on this record that I was like, you know what? Like, and they and they didn't change it when I left. That's good. That's good. <laughs> 
No Mistakes kicks off the album. It's stellar. I also love uh, uh, Out There in My Town. But... Uh, <laughs> I took a walk across the Brooklyn Bridge. The new graffiti says that life's a bitch. And now I hear this bridge is falling down. Someone will steal it before it hits the ground. Now I wanna go out walking in my own neighborhood. Where I was just a little girl and life was good. But the boys around the corner gonna fuck with me. I'm gonna keep on walking. Was uh, Sometimes Love Just Ain't Enough, was that all, did you always envision it as a duet then? Never, never envisioned it as a duet, not for five minutes. So whose idea was and that? Roy Bitten. Now I could never change you, I don't want to blame you, baby you don't have to take the phone. Yes I may have hurt you. But I did not desert you Maybe I just wanna have it all It makes a sound like thunder It makes me feel like rain Like a fool who will never see the truth I keep thinking something's gonna your heart you can't trust there's a reason why people don't stay where they are baby sometimes love just ain't enough i mean he's like we've got don henley in here and you know and we're gonna get him to sing as much as we possibly can literally i know because he would have had him sing the beginning <laughs> of the song right to the end you know but and i wish that in a way I would have had Don sing more, but I was not prepared for the mm -hmm. duet. I'm not a big duet fan, except for Tammy Terrell and Marvin Gaye. I could listen to those duets all day long. But, you know, I wasn't really prepared for, um, you know, for it to be a duet. But Roy was like, how about he sings the second verse? I'm like, okay. And the B section, I'm like, okay. And the more he sang, the better it sounded. So no, it was not a duet. He was just singing the harmonies on the choruses before. Now I need to ask you, like Roy says, we have Don Henley in here. What, what, I mean, I know that you sang on, uh, you did harmony vocals on Building a Perfect Beast and the end of the Innocence album. Was Don Henley just hanging around saying hello? How is he, why is he no. in the studio? No, he's hired. You know, he's, in the, he's in the studio because I, as soon as I wrote that song, I called him from okay. New York, you know, the years before that, four years before, and said, I wrote, it, I wrote a song. I, I think it's really good. And he's like, it is fucking good. It's great. <laughs> and I said, well, go, well, he, I go, I go, you want to sing it with me? There's a really great harmony, you know, that Glenn has been singing. He goes, yeah, absolutely. And I said, yeah, but Glenn says the song is like too dark. He goes, tell Glenn to wake up and smell the coffee. The world is dark. <laughs> the world is dark. <laughs> so I was like, okay. 
So I just stuck with, you know, what with the lyric and that was it. And I literally he recorded it with me three times. Wow. A couple of the songs on the 1998 Greatest Hits album, I just want to mention them, Carnival Lights and Everyone Gets Older. Those are great tunes. Just a word to signify The passing of each day and night Consistent as the speed of light The years fly by and out of sight Was there thought to recording a full album with Matt as producer? Or as you said, was it just a little too slick for you at the time? I think that, because I can't really blame it all on him. Right. I don't know. I, I feel like I was in some kind of weird mindset then. And uh, I had brought Tommy in to play on those tracks. And sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Wish I Were You and uh, and Carnival Lights are two really good songs. And somehow they got kind of lost. The best thing I think that he did that I love that Matt did is he brought in this great horn section for the end of Carnival Lights, which was a song I wrote about my mom running away to the circus. All the boys on the avenue, she's already kissed them goodbye. And so it's it's weird because, you know, I re-recorded Downtown Train because I wanted to strip it down. Right. And I re-recorded uh, Ode to Billy Joe because I had recorded that for a friend on their record. So it was never on my record. Right. And but, you know, with Carnival Lights, it's like I'm, I may have to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we, you don't get it right the first time. You got to keep trying. Do it again. So, yeah, because I really love that song. And we did it on this spin concert that I did at home. Cause I wrote that with Bob Thiel and he came to my house in Malibu when they, they came out and shot. That's the four songs that John played on with mm-hmm. me. And one of the songs we did was carnival lights. So, um, and the greatest hits, we kind of went in and tried to remix some stuff. You know, we mastered and yeah. remixed. Yeah. And then, uh, let's jump to 2015. Come on December. Are you a are you a Christmas person? Is that your favorite time of year? Oh my god. I love Christmas. <laughs> and I made that that was a total labor of love that Christmas album. I made it, you know, Keith and I recorded it in his house and my house. I drove down to Delaware to his studio and then we recorded it in my apartment in New York. And it was really just and then we tried writing the one of the um the songs broken. Sad walks are filling with Christmas trees. The small ones are blowing. Like- 
like tumbleweeds It's a sad gray winter Just sticks and stones You got to keep moving You're so far from home They say sing a song Sing hallelujah You need somebody To carry that away And all my days I'll sing hallelujah Tell me once you're broken How you unbreak Which wound up, you know, being this like you know, song that I, I was thinking about the veterans, my dad, all these people when I was writing it. And but there's a there's a, a songwriting tape, like a voice note of us writing it after a night of like, you know, I don't know what the heck we were drinking that <laughs> night. But I don't really drink, but I was drinking then. And oh my God, you've said this hilarious. a couple of times, Patty, you've said I don't really yeah. drink, but I was drinking. That's come up like two or three times now. Well, just, I think just it so came you know, one other, no, no, that came up one other time before okay. I keep track of this. When I said that I, that I wasn't drinking when I hired a, a band of drunks, that's what happened <laughs> that's right. in 84. And yeah. on, and on the set of, uh, on the set of, uh, love oh, yeah, has got a line. Drink, yeah. And you I don't drink did, beer. I was a little, you're right. That's three. <laughs> I was boozed up on, uh, online on you. No question. But it's just funny how the song <laughs> the shit that I was trying to cram in the song. And when we listened to it, I laughed so hard, but it wound up turning into a pretty beautiful song and then walk with me and come on December, which John really loves that song. does he love that song so i just remixed it and we're gonna you know throw it out there okay right cool i just uh, i just downloaded it the other day so i didn't have the credits on that album but um so those three there are three originals on there the three we named yes. come on december walk with me and broken it's very difficult to write uh, a new christmas song but you i think you really uh you really hit a home Dude. run on these I know. Thank you. Because I keep saying that to all my songwriting friends. I'm like, why don't you guys ever write Christmas songs? Yeah. And every summer I'm like, let's try to write a Christmas song. No one wants to write a Christmas song. It's funny. They don't even want to try. They and should. it is really hard to write one. So, I mean, I, I think I did pretty good, but I don't think I've hit it yet. I'm going to keep trying. But, you know, it's definitely... You know, great to have like, you know, try to get like a new one that's in their constant rotation, you know, because it's, you know, there aren't many new ones. No, there aren't many new ones. So thank you for those three. I appreciate it. And you, and, <laughs> and you did it and, and you're singing on the uh, on the traditional ones is excellent, too. Thank you. I don't think, Patty, I seriously, you've never released a bad album or a bad song. I mean, 
the other band I go to is The Police. I think their five albums are stellar. And I just think all your work's great. And obviously, we're not going to wait 28 years for another album. No, we are not. But I mean, I, that question's weird because you're just, this just came out. You're trying to ride the success of this. And, and here I'm asking about another one. But that's just no. I uh, mean, it's a, it's a pertinent question, and I'm already working on another one. You know, I already am lining up the songs and trying to figure out. You know, I don't know what the I don't have an angle. I just right. know that I have a body of work that now I've got to, you know, t- fine tune and stuff like that. But I, you know, I definitely want to keep going back into the studio because I did feel slightly rusty when I went back in. You know, it had been a long time, and you know, I have to think about who's going to do it. You know, next time. I mean, Dan Huff is wonderful, and he. He did me a solid. I'm not sure that he's going to be able to squeeze me in again. I mean, the guy's got like a crazy, you know, schedule. He's like the biggest producer in Nashville. Yeah. So we'll see, you know, what happens with that. But, you know, you, you you have to think ahead a little bit. And, you know, and it takes a long time for it all to come together. So it's a valid question. And, you know, I, I just, I, I swear every year that I was out on the road, so I'm like, are you going to have new music? And I'm like, yes, I promise this year. <laughs> such a fraud you know i felt so bad and that's when i I was like i am not i'm doing it like that i just did it it's like yeah and luckily things lined up but that was just luck that you know dan said yes and that i had the songs so i'm gonna keep you know i'm gonna try to keep to some kind of a schedule just because it keeps you writing and i love it and then and then john's gonna want to play on the next one I'm going to let him play on the next one. Good deal. I'll find the right song for him. Yeah. Let's do some promoting for you. You are on Twitter at Patty Smythe for the number four and then R E A L real, real. <laughs> website is Patty Smythe and scandal.com. The new album is it's about time. You can get it everywhere. And yes. Patty uh, throughout when I, when I post this episode to the world, I will be in any time we talked about a song, I'll put a clip of that song in. So I'm going to ask you, is there a is there a playout song you would like me to play from the new album? What would what would your choice of playout song be? Hmm. Good. Another good question, Pat. Why don't we play it out with "No One Gets What They Want"? How about that? No one gets what they want. Perfect. You got it, yeah. Patty. Thank you so much <laughs> for doing this. It was a, a pleasure to see you and chat with you. And uh, you I hope you, Pat. I enjoyed it. I'm sorry we got my timing off. Hey, lost. that's just a, that's just a story I can tell people now. <laughs> so that's always that's always fun the, <laughs> <laughs> the next time you're performing in LA, uh, los angeles i'm going to look you up hopefully we can Absolutely. say hello in person continue su- do, continued success and we'll talk to you soon thank you so much thanks Bye-bye. a lot appreciate it take care take care i'm Stay signing safe. off you too thanks stars above you say more 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 it's never enough so I say here here's my heart a priceless work of art you say me 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 that's the saddest part
what's mine So I say break, break, break this trust You're addicted to the rush I say burn, burn this bridge Till it's ashes and dust 